Welcome back to the Cot Red Podcast. We're just two dog lovers talking about true crime, horror, and most likely our dogs too. We are your hosts. I'm Jesse Light. And I'm Megan Light. We are back home after a week at the beach. Glad to be back with our dogs and sleep in our own bed again. But oh, yes, we had a blast. Uh, oh. oh, yes, we did. But my back was wrecked. Yeah, that wasn't the most comfortable bed. We mostly just laid on the beach, read books, listened to Whiskey Myers, ate some good food at our favorite restaurant, Bahama Bob's. I love that place. We, of course, had to make a stop at the famous Yard Milkshake Bar, too. Mm. And then we played some miniature golf at Jurassic Golf, which was air-conditioned, so I love that. <laughs> and then we were on our way home and received a call from Megan's mom, and she was freaking out, so we were like, oh, Lord, what happened? And we and are five hours away at this point. It might have been like seven hours, honestly. Were we back Yeah, far? we were barely had left. Oh. And she was calling about Ripley, who, of course, got scratched in the eye by her cat because Ripley just keeps getting in his face. Ripley never learns. And she does this at our house, she's too. She's stubborn. She's she's from the streets. She knows better. <laughs> she don't listen. Thankfully, it was nothing too serious. Ziggy got the wide of her eye, I guess. Yes. But there was so much blood. So Yeah, mom was like, oh, my freaking out yeah. and just so we had her in a cone for a few days and was giving her eye drops so she looks good as new now yeah you could never tell anything happened to her yeah derby was happy to see us especially her mama no oh, i know my derby she probably just laid by the door and waited for you the whole time mm. and ate extra i'm sure she probably gained five pounds at her grandma's house <laughs> <laughs> then the next day we picked up the boys from hound's hideaway and of course they weren't ready to leave no, they, they would stay there all, all yeah. the time if they could. They whine the whole way home. And then as soon as they get home, they sleep for a whole day. Uh -huh. We call that hot wasted Yes. Well, Megan got her hair done today. It looks great like always. Oh, thank you. Look good, feel good, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll have to stop by Handsome John's sometime this week to get freshened up. Yes. Now, before I forget, I wanted to bring up a conversation that I had, which is another small world coincidence again, but a woman that graduated high school with me back in 2010. Getting, He's a baby. I'm getting old. What are you talking about? Reached out on Instagram after hearing episode two. So this was the Carson Prince case with Stephen Talley. Her grandmother was actually the judge during the time of the murders committed by Stephen Talley, and she did all the preliminary hearings and paperwork for it in Perry County. So she actually cleared up a few things that we weren't certain about. We were wondering why it took him five years to confess to the murders. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out, according to her, he was very remorseful and only confessed because he was having an urge to kill his wife. He said he loved her and didn't want to kill her, so he came forward and turned himself in to avoid that. And we also figured he probably had killed more than three victims. Yeah, the way that he did it, right. I would just assume so. But she doesn't seem to think so, which is What a random urge wild, to right? have yeah. later on in life like that. Yeah, so we've done two local cases and have been lucky enough to hear from two people related in yes, some way to so each. Cool. So that's pretty cool. Very cool. So if you're listening to this episode, thank you, Nicole, for messaging us and listening to our podcast. Yes, thank you you're very awesome. much. 
We hope you enjoyed our last episode about George Smith on the Royal Caribbean cruise ship. Jesse did so good. Well, I nearly lost my voice from talking so much. Shut up. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we're going to let Megan lead the way on this one. She's got a crazy case for us today. Oh, yes. And my dad actually requested this one, even though you had already written it down, right? Yes, I it had. It was on the list, but he wanted to do it. So I think we, we bumped it to the top of the list, so... You're welcome, Ed. He grew up in Pope County where this happened and has a personal connection to it. So We'll reveal later. I'll let Megan take it from here. You ready to do this thing? Let's do it. Let's do it. So episode four, we are going to be talking about Ronald Gene Simmons. Our sources are going to be from the LA Times, Murderpedia, Encyclopedia of Arkansas, ClarkProsecutor.org, AllThatIsInteresting.com, AY Magazine did a three-part series called The Lambs to the Slaughter. PubMed, which is a more of a medical or psychological site. Real Life Villains, Crime Museum, and then a book called Obeying Evil by Ryan Green. I knew you were going to get that Murderpedia in there at I, some point. Heck yeah. That's a great one. Everything pretty much is put on that website so hmm. you don't have to go scrolling around to different ones if you don't want okay, to that's they cool. pretty much list everything mom on it. mom read a book about this one but she doesn't remember remember the there's name so it could have been the same one that you looked well, at this one is re- written more recently there's one that's older i think it's called zero to the bone oh it, that's the one that was like 300 pages and this one was like half so you still read 300 pages in like a day i don't like to brag <laughs> all right you ready i'm ready Ronald Gene Simmons, a.k.a. the hillbilly from hell. Really? Yes. Oh. Yes. Well, so, it is in Arkansas. So. That is, well, <laughs> he wasn't actually born in our state. Oh. He's from Chicago on July 15th, 1940. His father dies when he's three years old from a stroke, and later that same year his mother remarries. His stepfather is a civil engineer for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, this job would relocate the family to Little Rock, and for the next decade, they travel all over central Arkansas. When Ronald was 17, he dropped out of school and joined the Navy. His first station will be at Bremerton Naval Station in Washington. This is where he will meet his wife, and I'm going to try and pronounce these correctly, Bersab Rebecca, or Becky, Ula Berry, and I hope I oh, did that tough. right. I know. As soon as I started writing these down, I was like, I would pick that. I mean, it looks right. Yeah. Be- I, I listened Becky's to some, easy, at least. Becky, yes. She's going to go by Becky the rest of the story, by the way. She was a USO, or a United States Organization volunteer. Now, Burberton will merge with a naval submarine base um, and become known as Kit... Kitsap in 2004. It's in Kitsap County, Washington. That will serve host to the Navy's fleet throughout the Pacific Northwest. And prior to that merge, Bremerton was part of the reserve fleet and served the surplus of ships after World War II. Oh, that's pretty cool. Ronald and Becky will marry on July 9th, 1960 in New Mexico, and they will go on to have seven kids over the next 18 years. Wow. Just popping them out left and right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. In 1963, Ronald will go on a shift in careers, leave the Navy for two years, and do a bunch of miscellaneous jobs here and there. He then goes to join the Air Force. He remains there for 22 years and will receive some awards and recognition. A Bronze Star, the Republic of Vietnam Cross, and an Air Force Ribbon. 
Now I'm going to go over his awards real quick. Yeah, because I have no idea what those mean. Yes. Well, it's I want to talk about them just a little bit because the way that he was and operated as a military man will be completely different than yeah. the man that we will hear about. Seems like in he's the a story. good dude right now. Right. So a Bronze Star, uh, by today's standards, is the fourth highest ranking award. It's given to those that display heroism and merit. It's a tier above getting a Purple Heart. But I did read that it was kind of common that some civilians can also earn one. It's above the Purple Heart? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I've heard of the Purple Heart, so right. Bronze. That's, wow. The Republic of Vietnam Cross, or the Vietnam Gallantry Cross, is given for accomplishing deeds of valor or displaying heroic conduct while fighting, because he was in the Vietnam War. Okay. And then the Air Force Ribbon of Excellent Marksmanship is given to those that pass the well, the weapons qualification and achieve a high or above average score. He will retire as a Master Sergeant in 1979. So he's a good shot. Yes, which comes into play again later. Now, from an outsider's point of view, Ronald and his family would appear normal or what would seem as normal. The children were average students, always clean, well-behaved. They were obedient, and they carried out the orders of their retired military father, who was a private and controlling man. But we wouldn't be telling this story otherwise. They were not the big happy family everybody assumed. It's kind of like a post I saw earlier today showing the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath, how a sociopath. Look can, at you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> a sociopath, like in front of people, like, you know, is awkward and stuff. Mm-hmm. But a psychopath carries on a normal family relationship and stuff. But there's another side to him that nobody sees. Mm-hmm. In 1981, it will come to light the dark secret of the Simmons family. Ronald's wife, Becky, will no longer be his only love, his heart's only desire. The object of his obsession will be his own teenage daughter, Sheila. He never hid the fact that she was his favorite. She had plenty of pet names like Princess or Ladybug. She got the best gifts. And she was only 17 when her father's abuse was noticed. But it I read that it started as early as 13. 13 or 15, in that range. The rumor was that he had fathered a child with her. Oh, that's so creepy. When the allegations sparked an investigation, the Simmons family was still living in New Mexico. The DHS that was located in Cloudcroft and the DA at Stephen Sanders of the city largest that was closest to where they lived said that the incest charge was indisputable. They had learned from two sources, one being Ronald Gene Simmons Jr., the oldest, um, he went to the um, the guidance counselor or the counselor there at the school and was like, hey, this is going on. Somebody needs to know. And then friends of Sheila from school had also come forward and been like, she's been saying this is going on at home. But, I mean, you can't deny the fact that her belly has been growing right. as well. They're going to notice eventually. Yes. So before the warrant had been uh, served, Ronald gathered his family and they fled. He remembered how much he loved the life he had in his childhood when they were living in Arkansas. So they moved to secluded areas here. They first went to Ward, which obviously they probably drove, and it's like a 13-hour across the nation to get here. Uh, Ward is a small town. Even now, 
with maybe 6,000 people. In 1990, it said that it had barely over 1,400. So in the 80s, I mean, it's fewer than that. It's still small. I drive through there every now and then. Mm -hmm. The family would reside here for two years before in 1983 they would make their way to Dover, an hour and a half away. And Dover is even smaller than Ward. Yep. But lucky for Ronald, no one really bugs you in the small towns like that. The Simmons family would begin their lives here on a desolate property, isolated with no phone, no plumbing, and enclosed with a large fence as tall as 10 feet in some spots. The property was about 13 acres, and it will be called Mockingbird Hill. Yeah, we know people in Dover. They can't even get a cell service out there mm-hmm. half the time. Well, that was just cell service. This is like yeah. land. Yeah. Yeah. And back then. Ugh. Ronald's controlling nature would only become more and more, for a lack of a better word, insane. He's already got them practically locked away in the middle of nowhere. He controls his wife by cutting her off financially and from her family back home in Colorado, making her entirely dependent on him. His children can go to school and back home, no after-school activities, no friends stay over, and they cannot spend the night at friend's house. He was losing grip with reality, thinking that there might be a rebellion or a lack of order if he let them have too much freedom. In his mind, he's called his family traitors. This is when he starts getting to the point of, of breaking coming soon. Has his daughter already had the kid? Yes. Yes. Um, I hate to say it, but speaking of Sheila, she does end up pregnant again under his roof. But this time, Ronald would take her for abortion. This is something he was very much against. Um, he got in fact um, he got mad at the fact that his wife doctor said that if she had another child after that seventh one or maybe in those prior pregnancies that she could die. It took a lot of convincing, like a lot, for Ronald to give his okay for her tubes to be tied, because back in the day, women need spousal consent for sterilization, and he hated that because he, in his mind, your wife does what you want her to do and he wanted to reproduce and reproduce because in his mind that's what a woman was worth was clean cook have babies so the doctor said that the wife couldn't have babies anymore she needed to stop having children so he moved on to his daughter basically i don't think so i think this is all in between because um okay when his daughter gets pregnant because later on you'll hear that he has a child that's three that is not his daughter with Sheila. So another woman comes into play later or? No, this is all from his wife, Becky. But I mean, he's obviously getting with his daughter when he's also with his wife. Since his retirement from the Air Force, Ronald would work several low paying jobs in Russellville. In Russellville, for those around that aren't from around here, uh, we have a Arkansas State University there. It's home to the only nuclear power plant Today, it's home to about 30,000 people, 12-minute drive, give or take, from Dover, where they're going to be living. That's where I was born, Russellville. Russellville. Yeah. Ronald was always close to his house, so you can imagine him only being able to drive 10, 15 minutes, and he'd be home. Um, Let's see. We've already discussed that he's not a good guy, obviously. Obviously. But he's very determined. He left one of his jobs uh, being an accounts receivable clerk at Woodline Motor Freight after he had multiple reports of inappropriate and unwanted sexual advances. 
His last job to date was December 18th, 1987, and it was at a Sinclair Mini Mart, which is like a gas station convenience yeah. store. What the heck happened to him between the time of the Air Force and the Navy, Navy mm-hmm. and then to this? I think he's just, always, I think he kind of always been, been, like that. been crazy. You can't, well, I guess some people can't snap, but right. um, some of the stuff I'd read in the book, which I'm, it's, it's kind of strange reading it from like a writer's point of view instead of like firsthand account. And uh, from what I've read in that, it seems that he's just always kind of been Mr. Power Struggle. Like can't let anybody else be in charge. And I guess that's just military raising. Just on a power trip. Kind yes. Of. I came across a few theories to why the next string of events occur and I'll address them in just a minute. I don't want to jump ahead too much and get lost because these next events happen just days after he quits his job at the mini mart. So it gets intense. So hold on to your butts. <laughs> All right, Samuel. <laughs> Evidence in his own recollection will show that Ronald on December 22nd, just four days later, will begin his killing spree. Ronald would first kill his eldest son, Gene, and his wife, Becky, by shooting them with a 22 caliber pistol. That gun was also said to be a recent purchase, but just another one among his collection. He's a military man. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he had a big safe full of them. He moves on to his three-year-old daughter, Barbara. He strangles her. These three bodies will be moved into a hole in the property where he had instructed his children to dig. He had lied to them, telling them it was for another outhouse. So those three were the same day? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And then these will be also the same day. Once the other Simmons children return from school, Loretta, Eddie, Marianne, and Becky, they come home and he tricks them one by one. And he tells them, I have a gift for you because this is right before Christmas. He tells them to go to their rooms and wait to be summoned. Yeah. Keyword there, summoned. So he confesses to all this. He like tells the story Mm -hmm. in his own words. He does. Yes. Okay. Sadly, no gifts are given. He would take each of their lives in the same manner, strangulation, and then held underwater. They, too, will be placed in that hole. Wow. Days pass, and on the 26th, the remaining members of the family come over for their Christmas visit. Unfortunately, they will be met with foul play. Ronald will shoot his son Bill and his wife, Renata, and strangle their 20-year-old son, Trey. Next will be Sheila, his favorite and pride and joy, along with her husband, Dennis McNulty. They had met while they were in business school in Little Rock, and yes, that upset Ronald very much. Ronald would also strangle the daughter he had with Sheila, seven-year-old Sylvia, and then next his 21-month-old grandson, Michael. He just went nuts. He did. And it's I didn't really know if I should have put daughter or granddaughter, because what do you call the child you... Incest? Uh, you know? Did you say he killed the Ronald Jr.? Yes. He did kill him? Yes, he did. That was one of the first ones oh, okay. with his mother. Ronald laid the bodies and covered them with her own coats, except for his princess, Sheila. She was wrapped in her mother's best tablecloth. The two baby boys were in plastic sheeting and placed in abandoned cars, I assume somewhere on that 13 acres of theirs. Ronald would be seen after the fact having a drink or two in a bar in town. Just like Just like nothing day, happened. Probably. And then he comes home to drink some more, watch TV with the bodies of his family all around him. That is disgusting. But guess what? It's not the end because he's not done. He's not done. 
I do want to go back, though, like jump back a few seconds um, to those theories, because, I mean, you don't really ever know why somebody does the things they do. But these were just some speculations. Um, first of all, his wife, Becky, um, was gathering courage to leave him. She was ready for freedom. She wanted to over the years, but was so independent on him. Plus, how are you going to leave your kids with a monster? She'd become his punching bag and didn't think he would hit the children because then, you know, they're in school and then they see signs of abuse or something weird going on in the house. So he didn't want to risk it. He wasn't going to let her leave if she, all the stuff that she knew, you know. Oh, that too. Yeah. Uh, Becky had written to her son, Billy, and said, I don't want to live the rest of my life with dad. I am a prisoner here. Every time I think of freedom, I just want out as soon as possible. So Billy's one of the ones that has moved on, gotten older, and lives outside the house? Yes. Okay. Yes. The second theory is, speaking about, like, abuse and everything, is is Sheila. She went off and left and found someone else to love. And Ronald had said in a, a letter they found on the property when they were searching it, you have destroyed me. You have destroyed my trust in you. I will see you in hell. Dang, so and he's he, super jealous about that, too. Well, that was written around the time that he was reported for molesting her. So years prior, that's oh. just been there. Okay. And they found it. And number three and number four are kind of conjoined together because these two will make more sense in just a second. But just know he doesn't like when women turn down his advances or are made superior to him. So the following Monday, the 28th, I mean, it all started just days prior, Ronald will drive into Russellville, head to the law office of Peel, Eddie, and Gibbons. He kills the receptionist, Kathy Kendrick. She is the one that he wanted, she wanted nothing to do with him, and she turned down the advances that he made towards uh, her. So he was hitting on her, and she was like, no, thank you. And that made him mad. Made him mad. Wow. Next, he will target the owner of the Mini Mart, Russell Taylor. Luckily, he's only wounded. But J.D. Schaffen, I think I'm saying that right, uh, who is a firefighter in town and part-time truck driver for Taylor Oil, like owned by Russell Taylor, um, he will not survive his injuries. So why do you think he went after those two? Just they they were in the way, maybe? Well, he worked for Russell. Oh, he worked for Russell. And that was somebody above him. Ah, gotcha. Um, and, I mean, if you were, like, the high-ranking military man and then you start working, you know, jobs you yeah, make, you like, $7 an around. hour or less. Yeah, you don't want to be—nobody needs to be your boss. His journey will go to another convenience store where he had worked. He shoots but only wounds two. His final stop will be at Woodline Motor Freight, where he will wound his superior—I'm sorry, superior, his supervisor, uh, Joyce Butt— which is the other part of that last theory besides the woman at the receptionist's office. Um, and this one, um, because he was working underneath the woman. He don't like that. He should be, he's a man. He should be above her. Why didn't he just get his own business, you know, start know. his own business up? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But that, that uh, right there, that's it. That's when it? he wounds her, that's it. He tells the secretary at Woodline um, to call the police and he told her I have come to do what I wanted to do it is all over now I've gotten everybody who wanted to hurt me wow he sits down and waits the police comes he hands over his gun and he surrenders without any resistance no kidding so yeah he, just, he had a plan and he he did it and he was ready 
Ronald Gene Simmons will be charged with 16 counts of capital murder and sentenced to death, which he does not appeal. On May 31st, Governor at the time, future President Bill Clinton, will sign his execution warrant. And then finally, on June 25th, 1990, he will die of lethal injection. Wow. So what Before do you, I was born. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, was, I was still around for like two years. What do you think? Do you think he's a serial killer? Would you call him? Um, a serial killer or what would you think no okay good no because i feel like you're learning like by it, now yeah it was all just in us one one day or okay, two days good. and good. it's just like it was all the people he wanted to kill exactly it so, wasn't just like you know people matching a certain characteristics over okay, and good. over again oh, Jesse's like learning everybody type of murder over and over again you know so yes i've seen enough criminal minds and all that good That's stuff funny now. you say that <laughs> because I want to mention them in a minute. So a serial killer kills more than three in a short span of time, has a cooling period, with, and they always have little to no motive. Murders are separate events and done for the thrill or pleasure. Mass murderers, on the other hand. That's what I would say he is, yes. Yes. Kill in a single location and time frame. They tend to be more paranoid with a social disorder and are cruel, manipulative, and uncompassionate. I mean, that's him. Ding, ding, ding. And without a doubt, Ronald is a family annihilator. And I'm pretty sure the first time I heard this term was on Criminal Minds. <laughs> <laughs> it's often apparent, the father in most incidents, that murders the other family members. A few other examples will be Chris Watts in 2018, Robert William Fisher in 2008, who is still wanted and on the run, by the way, and Marcus Wesson in 2004. And that is the story of Ronald Gene Simmons. So I have a couple little facts. Jesse knows them, and I thought it was crazy too. But uh, my friend Betsy told me that growing up, her the family that lived next door to her, the wife was a McNulty, and Dennis McNulty was who married Sheila. Small so world small again. Small world again. And then what I find even crazier is Jesse's dad's old girlfriend was Kathy McKendrick. Yeah. The receptionist killed from the law office. Way before my mom's time, but yeah. Yeah. Crazy. On uh, our Instagram, we're going to put a picture of the headstone that has the whole family's name on it. I know the focus was Ronald because it was his story, but he didn't deserve the life that he had. And I would like everyone to take a minute to remember all that lost their lives. They did nothing wrong. And sadly, they just fell victim to a crazed, controlling man. You did good. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> so for, well, actually, we're going to do another episode this week. Yes, I'm very excited about I've got to get my stuff together. We're planning it, yes. Yes. Hopefully, we'll probably drop it Thursday, but it doesn't have anything to do with true crime. It's going to be horror movie related. Yes, because we haven't really talked about horror stuff, and we need to. It's, it's, it's time. Gonna, it's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. We be, might be fighting. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to test our marriage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's yes, it, though. That was, that's it for today, y'all. Thank y'all so much for tuning in to another episode. And stick around for later this week to hear some more. Thank y'all.